Hey, what's happening, everybody? Thank you for joining us on another episode of An Earful in the Emerald City. Thank you guys for being here. We appreciate you listening to us, as always. Good cut right there. A little Led Zeppelin for you guys. God, I just discovered that one recently, and that's a powerful track right there. Powerful track, you guys. Check it out. But uh, yeah, thank you guys for being here. We appreciate it. Another episode for you here. Um, Back at it. Took a couple weeks off. You know, we had the momentum going. I talk about momentum all the time on this show. And we had it going there. I had it going for four or five weeks. Doing good. Was staying at it. And some of these funny guys, some of these wise guys, they're uh, they're just a little tough to wrangle when it comes to the scheduling. Okay? Not the most reliable. Not the most integrity. Can't quite count on them like you would a normal stand-up person. Ironic that I used the word stand-up there. But... That being said, we're back at it for you guys, and I got a great one for you today, okay? Great, guys. Oh, it's great. It's great. Yeah, I got a good episode here, you guys. Uh, Back in house, second time on the show, my cousin, family member, Mr. Seth Clemens in the house, you guys. Seth Clemens joining us. Good chat. We had a really good chat. Um, I think I might have enjoyed it even a little bit more than the first one. And that one I enjoyed pretty immensely. So that should give you a little idea of what we're working with here. But uh, good chat. He's doing his own thing now. Radical middle, you guys. Radical middle. I, I, I'd like to think that I inspired him. I'd like, you know, maybe maybe just a little bit. I won't take all credit, but just a little bit. But yeah, he's doing his own thing. So uh, check him out, you guys. See what you think. Give him some love. Show him what's up. And uh, yeah, hope you guys enjoy our chat. We had close to as much as I enjoyed it. My chat with my cousin. Mr. Seth Clements, thank you guys for being here. We appreciate it. Thanks, guys. seconds in an yeah. hour and a half podcast there's eh. probably some people have to kind of like the beauty of the podcast then of going you know when you're getting a conversation that like any other conversation there's the point <laughs> there's the awkward moment of like and are we done <laughs> this right. is over now uh, so you see the weather it's been pretty yeah. hot hasn't it Gee, it's been warm out there <laughs> Yeah, no, and, and that's and that's the tricky part of it. And and I listen to Rogan. I listen to all the big podcasts, and it, and it happens with all of them. I mean, yeah. you get to that point. He gets to that point where he's got to kind of just scramble and just ask the person a question, you know, like something yeah. that he was kind of thinking about, and boom, just go to it, you know, to keep it moving. So, but, see, that's why I like having you own it. Mm-hmm. Well, because that way, when I'm like, okay, that's all I brought. I, I got nothing. If you want to ask me a question, go ahead. But other than that, I'm gonna. I'll just surf my phone here while you finish this thing out. <laughs> it's uh, it's just it's it's like anything else in life. It's you want to get good at it, you want to be proficient. You just got to go through the motions. You got to keep doing it. The repetition. You got to. Yeah. It's corny to say, I know, but you got to work for that ten thousand hours. You yeah. got to try to get there. I mean, yeah, there's people that are naturally good at things. Okay, 
LeBron James is naturally good at dunking a basketball. Uh, it's not really naturally. It's it's genetic. It's the genetic lottery that he won. Yeah. But for the most part, people just have to but work at stuff. He's naturally good at being six foot ten. It's he's just, uh, he's incredibly <laughs> proficient at that. Yes, he's re- he's very good at. Whereas it, so. I suck at being six foot yeah, ten. Really. Yeah. It's, I, and I've been working at it. It's, but uh, ten thousand hours has <laughs> yeah. not been helping. Well, get a couple more. Maybe two, three thousand more. Yeah. Maybe you'll be there, but. But yeah, most people, you just got to bang it out. You just got to put in your time and put up with some BS and deal with some garbage and be okay with sucking at something. And then who knows? Eventually, maybe you'll hone it in. I mean, that's kind of the weird thing about humans is we do tend to gravitate to things we're good at. So I wonder if that prevents us from getting to that 10,000 hours because we're like, oh, this thing over here, I'm actually already pretty good at it. So I don't even need to do it that often. Well, actually, it probably means we get guys are... Um, guys actually, um, we naturally gravitate towards the things that we do well. So what it usually means though, is that we figure out what it is that we do well when we're really, really young. Mm -hmm. And then we start cutting out all the things that aren't that. Yeah. So the problem is then by the time you're 25, 30, like you've identified the handful of things that you do really well, and that's all you do. Mm-hmm. And suddenly something else comes up in your life where you're like, hey, I want to learn something new. And you're like, okay, I don't, I don't have the skill set for learning new things because I haven't, I've been cutting out things that I don't do well my entire life. Yeah, yeah, and that learning curve has kind of steepened uh, since you were back in, at that point. Let me ask you, you say that with guys, and I, I, completely, I completely agree. I mean, I think... I don't know if it's just people in general or guys, but you do gravitate to things that you're well, you do well because it feels good to do things well. It doesn't feel good when you suck at stuff. And that's why people don't want to take that risk of trying new things a lot. But do you think that's more of a thing with guys than it is for girls? Or you think it's people in general? Actually, you know, um, I remember reading a study. It is that guys are really prone to this. I mean, it's probably all people in general. But it tends to be why guys hyper-focus more often than women do. Mm-hmm. And when I say hyper-focus, it means like, uh, so let's take, you, let's take like a, a guy CEO. He's running a company. Well, he may have learned very early on that he got some sort of reward or pleasure from focusing for 80 or 100 hours during in a week for one single payoff. And when he did that, then he started cutting out all the other stuff, which means... You know, if I could work through lunch, I can get more of this reward. Yeah. You know, if I if I don't have like evening plans, you know, if my relationships outside of this, if I cut it to a minimum <laughs> so I can focus on this. So I'm working at it. I'm reading it. I'm doing it. You know, Bill Gates didn't take a vacation into like his 15th year. Like seriously, 15 straight years of working yep. with no vacation, no day off, no holiday. And it's because he was just hyper focused at that. Yeah. Most women have a little bit more balance. <laughs> and they go, Well, yeah, there's this thing that I really like, but I also like my relationships. Yeah. I yeah. also have other things that I want to do. And so they might have a more balanced life. Yeah. But there tends to be less often that there's that one thing that they've in- devoted their entire life to. Yeah. Nor do they want to. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. I didn't think of that. But uh, yeah, it, it is. It's like the guys are the ones who are going to almost go to the point of insanity when it comes, like you said, to focus in on one. And for some guys, it's weird, random stuff. You know, some guys, it's not 
running a business like those CEOs you're talking about, some guys it's model trains or this and that, video games, and they focus so much. Unfortunately, they're putting all this effort into something that isn't a very industrious um, you, you know, pursuit, but nonetheless, that is definitely a guy trait. And yeah, and, and you know, we sit and say, oh, the CEOs, oh, these guys are great. It's like, well, okay, yeah, you're right. This guy, he can focus on this for 100 hours each week. He can just the whole time. But what other parts of his life are is he deficient at because of this hyper-focus? Yeah, it's taking him to the top level of that one industry that he's doing, but it's not just about your career. That's not your entire life, okay? That's one slice of the pie. There's a lot of other stuff going on there. And so a lot of times people just assume that, oh, it's guys are mostly CEOs, guys are mostly CEOs. Oh, oh, this is sex. It's like... Jordan Peter says this all the time. What? Why? You guys focus on why is it only guys in these positions? When the better yeah. question is why does anybody want this crazy job? This crazy job that requires so much from you is so demanding, could ruin all other aspects of your life. Why would you want this job? That's the that's the better question to ask. And it's not that even even among guys, it's not all guys. It just means that there's a the 1% of 1% of people who have decided to devote their entire life to one thing. Now, most of us would go, I don't want to have just one thing. I want to have many things. <laughs> but the moment I make that choice, that trade-off, it means the person who's devoted their life to that one thing is going to be better at it than I am. Yeah. That's why you look at, like, we were talking about basketball players. You know, like how many hours a day that a basketball player spends shooting free throws? Mm-hmm. And he's still <laughs> six foot ten. And he's still got to shoot 300 free throws a day yeah. just to kind of, you know, it's like, yeah, that is, that is a completely male thing. And again, who knows? Maybe it's not even healthy to, um, to a certain extent. It's probably not. Like you said, the most of the guys out here, are, oh yeah, you know, that, that's kind of fun, but you know, I want to do other stuff too. But I mean, that's the beauty of this country though. If you want to put everything you got into one thing and focus on that completely, that's your prerogative and you can do that. Think, however crazy yeah. you might be because of it. I think one of the things that they, um, uh, they talk about in terms of how to change, let's say there's something that's broken in your life and it's something that you want, but you've become not good at it. I, I'll use a, um, a real world example. Let's just say it's like you're a relationship. So let's say you're married and over the course of years, what used to be a good marriage, let's say it's kind of fallen in disrepair and it's it's kind of in a bad Which state. It happens very frequently. Yeah, it happens quite quite a bit. Yeah. But now imagine in that scenario for, um, and I'm going to continue to speak from a guy's perspective, but guys a lot of time, because we, we keep going back to the things where we get positive feedback from, mm-hmm. and then we hyper-focus on the thing that we have positive feedback, well, it works the opposite direction. So now imagine that in the beginning in that relationship where you were getting positive feedback from, you can become hyper-focused on that relationship. And almost every girl at some point is going to realize like that guy who does nothing other than, you know, live, think, dream about that girl, right? And he he wakes up at the beginning of the day, throughout the day, he is just thinking about her wanting to do something. She gets that that hyper-focused attention and it just, it feels like fantastic. It feels great. But then, you know, over time, there's some negative interactions that happen as you're, you're focusing on other things. You have nev- negative interactions. And as we start to receive negative interactions, we, we tend to go, we don't go back to those things as often as we used to. And so we start to move other directions. And at some point, you actually get in a rut where there's almost all negative interactions. 
And as guys, we cut off the things we have negative interactions to. Mm -hmm. It means then we start hyper-focusing on my work or our hobbies or our other friends or other things that we got going on. And you next thing you go, well, I could stay late working and continue to get the positive feedbacks because I do this work really well. Mm -hmm. But what I don't do really well is uh, be a husband. <laughs> what I don't do do really well is is, is have a relationship mm-hmm. because I keep getting negative feedback. Yeah. So sometimes when we talk about making a change or improving it, instead of thinking this macro problem of like I need to make this entire relationship fixed and it f- feels hopeless, go. How do you start the feedback loop over again? Mm-hmm. And you go. Just go. How do you do one thing right in it? Yeah. Yeah, you get both people dip back to like a baseline and just kind of go, what is one thing that we could do? Yeah. You have one conversation, get a good feedback from it, then step away and be done for the moment. And mm-hmm. that actually sends like a little positive feedback to us. Yeah. And just as much as that negative feedback created a loop that destroyed it, if you can start that positive feedback loop back up again, it can actually, we then start to eliminate the other things and start to focus back on that relationship again. And that's how those things can get fixed. Yeah. You just got to find a way to get to that turning point. Like you're saying, like that one little step that does it, but man, as a, as a single guy, like that, what what you just described there, like that's the kind of shit that terrifies me (laughs) about being married, you know? And and I'm not saying that it's always like that. I'm not, but I can picture myself in that situation where, like you said, it doesn't matter what you do. You know, you're walking around on eggshells. You you know things are dicey. The situations, and it doesn't matter what you do, it's always wrong, and oh, yeah. it, and it never and it never works out. And it's like, what do you what do you do in that situation? What do you do? Yeah, small and, wins. Uh, I mean, that's <laughs> it. I guess you just gotta you, you gotta break it down as low as you can. You know, can I get this this tiny little victory? This tiny little slice of something positive? Yeah. to get moving on and. Uh, again, I'm sure there's a ton of guys in that situation where they feel like they just can't do anything wrong. And then, and then your confidence is gone and you don't have any confidence and in any decision you make, you're like, Oh, well, I'm not really sure, but yeah, uh, you, you lose your swagger. Oh my God. And it's just a snowball, you know, snowball of shit. Yeah. And it just, you get wrapped up in it. That's why, that's why those marriage counseling sessions can be such a disaster when you start thinking about the enormity of having to fix a marriage. Like when when a marriage is stuck and you're in a bad place, mm-hmm. trying to imagine what it actually takes to uncover the years of potentially <laughs> like negative interactions that have kind of built up, yeah, it, it, it it's hard to not just go to an incredibly hopeless place. Which is why if you go to let's fix everything in one session, you, you're gonna fail. Yeah, you've you've got to start with just this. Hey, let's work with one interaction. What is one way in which you interact with each other that you'd like to improve? Mm-hmm. You've got to start with those baby steps. But it's amazing like if when you do that and you start walking through that, it actually, it's no, just as quickly as it snowballed downhill, it, it can rebuild just as fast. Yep. Yep. Just, you, you, you have to kind of step back and look at the process. Yeah. We've said it, I, I've said it and we've said it on this podcast many times. The momentum goes in both ways. It can be a tailwind for you or it can be a headwind. And yeah, it just starts. You got to get it going in that right direction that you want it to. And then you, you just keep working at it and it keeps working for you. But yeah, like you say, it's the small thing sometimes. And a lot of people, they think, oh, you know, I'm in love with this woman. She's great. And they imagine, 
you know, being on the white sandy beach with her blue, blue sea everywhere, perfect setting, you know, not a cloud in the sky. That's not reality. The reality is, is you got to come home every day to that woman and you got to make her feel at least a little bit special when you show up and make her feel like, wow, you're happy to see her and get that interaction. That's every single day. Okay. That those white sandy beaches, that's, that's maybe once a year, maybe one time each year you're going to get that. Every single day, you have that 15 mm. minutes of when you yeah. see your partner for the first time, and you got to you get you got to nail that. You got to work on that, and it's it's and again, it doesn't sound like much, but it is those little things that get you in the right direction. And and that's when you add them up over time, they're not little anymore. It's it's yeah. it's a little activity, but it made up a large portion of what you did as a person. Well, I think especially relationships. Uh, so someday I'm going to come back here and we're going to do one of these, right? And you're going to you're going to be telling me, "Hey Seth, I've got news to share with you." Like, and I'll tell is by good, the is it good news? Yeah, I'll be tell by the. Well, I don't know. It depends. Mm. You know, in the moment you'll think it's good news, mm. <laughs> right? But you have the twinkle in your eye, and I'll be like, "Oh no, don't don't tell me." Yes, yes, you've fallen <laughs> in love, and uh, and and here's here's the mistake, right? Is you're a young guy still, um, right? Is relatively, that, yeah, relatively, but compared compared to guys in this room, yeah. <laughs> There you go. Right. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. That uh, that I'll ask you the question. I'll say, okay, well, why are you in love with her? And immediately what you will describe to me, which is, well, I'm in love with her because of the way that she makes me feel. And you'll list all of the ways that she makes you feel. When I'm with her, I feel alive. I feel happy. I feel like I have more energy. I have more focus. I have more drive. I feel all of these things. And so therefore I'm in love with her. And that feels like it's a good answer, mm-hmm. but it's actually a really crappy answer. And I'll explain why. All right. Because, first of all, nobody ever makes you feel anything. <laughs> so as soon as we, especially, we build up in our heads that the purpose of having someone else in our life is to make us feel something, is what happens when you no longer feel that? Ooh. And it's going to happen, yeah. right? Is you have not, you didn't fall in love with a woman you fell in love with an ideal and that ideal is in your head right and at some point along the way you're going to wake up and you're going to have other responsibilities and issues and life is hard it's difficult and so you're going to be going well wait a second yesterday i felt alive i felt happy i felt energetic i felt like i want to take on the world and today i don't feel that way and our heads go to what did she do differently (laughs) Because I no longer feel this. Yeah. You used to make me feel alive and now I don't feel alive. So therefore you have done something wrong. Or then we start going, well, maybe it's not the right relationship because I used to feel these things and now I don't. So obviously I must have been confused in the past, but now I have accurate sight. Yeah. There has to, there's always some period in the relationship where the ideal has to meet up with the reality. And the reality is we are broken work and process people. And at some morning you're going to wake up and look over at her, right? And she's going to look at you and you're going to realize who you're actually with. And that the best part of that relationship is that you guys will actually work to, um, you develop each other, but you know what it's evolved to mean developed, right? It means like you clash, you change, you challenge each other, you push each other. Yeah. And these aren't, fun, happy, like positive experiences. Like there's nobody in my life who has called me out of my junk any more than my wife has. Mm -hmm. 
And so like she is the one person who gets access to tell me when I am really screwing up. Yeah. And there's something different I need to do. That that's great when I once I get through it and I come out the other side, but in the moment that doesn't make me feel alive. In no. the moment I don't feel great or wonderful. In the moment I'm actually really upset at the person who's pointing out pointing out the fact that I need to do something different. Yeah, no. <clears throat> and change when you have to make a change. Yeah, it never feels good right then at the time. Mm, you know, no. it's a foreign feeling to you. You're not comfortable. You're out of your comfort zone. You're not used to it. It never feels good right then and there. But that's a that's an interesting point you make, and I never really thought of it like that. But, yeah, I mean, I'm sure – I'm just guessing here. I, I haven't been in, like, a really long-term relationship like you. Like, we're complete opposites as far as that goes. <laughs> um, but I can only imagine that there's been, I'm sure, some times when you guys got into a fight or oh, yeah. an argument or something, and yet – it was rough. It was brutal while it was happening. But when it was over, you guys both had something to take away from it. And, you know, maybe you made a little tweak that kind of helped you guys out for the next time that sort of oh, yeah. situation came up, you know, and, and, and you're right. And that's and that's part of development. And I mean, who wants to marry somebody who's just figured it all out and they're done? And, and oh, I'm good. Good as it is. As is no mm. warranty. You get what you get. No, nobody wants that. Like. You should always be striving to be a better. You know, you should always. I mean, if we're lucky enough to live to ninety-five years old, we're going to be a lot different person, I'm sure, than we were when we were eighty-five years old. Yeah. You know, even though we're still just creeping around and trying our best not to break our hip, there's still things to be developed. There's still things to learn, and I think that is a big that that's obviously a huge part of being in a long-term committed relationship, and. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's 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 one of the difficult parts, but I think that it, a lot of the reward comes from it as well. If you make it, and <laughs> if, if if well, I'm pointing out, yeah, because if here, not many people, not a lot of people make it, and part of making it just doesn't mean you make it as in you don't split up. Because some people they stay together and they're miserable. So I don't know if I really count that as making it. But there is a corner that you can turn because almost every relationship is going to have that moment where you're really going, is this really worth it? Is it worth it to be connected with to somebody who we are going to be challenging and developing each other? And I definitely had that that phase where, man, it was there was a really rough couple of years. And um, I remember thinking a lot, man, I just wish it could go back to the way it was. And I, I mean, sometimes I would even verbally say that to, you know, which is, by the way, a, a wonderful thing to say to your wife <laughs> is that I wish we could just go back to being easy <laughs> that, uh, but it was good. That was a, truly what I was feeling in my heart, right? Is that, man, I just, it's so hard now and it used to be so easy. I just, can we go back? But then like something like it, when you fight through it and you start working, it, go through the other side, something actually happens, which you didn't really expect is that it becomes better. In fact, way better. Like once you've made it through the rough patch and you come back and you have this new connection, you're like, it is a battle tested relationship. Mm -hmm. And you know that, okay, me and this person, like we've been to the edge of the abyss and back. <laughs> Right. We've yeah. stared into the darkness, had to decide who it is that we wanted to be both individually and together. Uh -huh. And we both together decided that this was going to be worth it. We were going to plant our flag in the ground and we were going to be like, no matter what, you and I are figuring this thing out, no matter how painful, how difficult, 
And when you actually find another human being who's willing to plant their flag on your brokenness and you'll do the same thing back on them and you work your way back, why in the world would you ever leave that person? So the amount of trust I have in my relationship now versus what I had before that moment, it's, it's infinitely better. Yeah. Like I wouldn't, I would, I would never trade it. I would never trade it now. Yeah. I, I mean, that's the thing. Yeah. You go to, you go to the edge and you're, and that's what marriage is all about. If you ask me, I mean, in my opinion, marriage is all about, can you stick it out? Okay. Are you truly in it for the long haul or are you just willing to pack your shit up and get out of here? The second things get rough. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, once you, once you went to the edge, once you were there looking over the cliff you're like, holy shit, that's a long ways down. <laughs> you're like, um, you know, we can work this out. We can work, and yeah. and yeah, you're you're gonna be you're gonna be ready for anything at that uh, point, okay? Because because you were there, you you yeah. were as close as it went, but that's what marriage is all about, in my opinion, and and that's what upsets me about our country these days is, especially with the divorce rate being where it's at. Oh yeah, if you're not gonna stick it out, then just don't get married. Just, just don't, yeah. don't, don't, don't get the state involved. Don't get all yeah. the bureaucrats in the mix here. If you're really not going to stick it out, that's what marriage is. That marriage is saying, you know what? No matter how shitty it gets, yeah, I'm not going anywhere. Okay. All right. What about? Are you? Are you down too? You, you're down. We're not yeah. going anywhere. Okay. Let's figure this out. Let's do it. Well, I think uh, part of the reason that marriage doesn't fit really well with Westernized culture is that. At some point, we kind of gravitated to that the end-all, be-all goal of our culture, right, of our society, was to maximize comfort and minimize suffering. Mm-hmm. So anything that improves our comfort is a good thing. Yeah. And anything that brings suffering to us is a bad thing. So you have this idea then that marriage, if it's about you know, being fulfilled, if it's about having somebody that you can be happy with and that you're joyful with and that you have hobbies that you do together and it's just this joyful, wonderful thing, then it adds to your comfort. But the moment that marriage adds to your suffering, (laughs) then you're like, why in the world did I sign up to this? Because in my view that there's nothing good that comes from suffering, my life should be all about comfort. And I look at that model and I go, "I, I actually think that's a terrible model. I don't think that that... I don't think that we get satisfied through comfort. I think, and we look at that now. Right now, if you ask the average, well, this is, this is a poll they do. They do this in Europe and the U.S. every year. They ask, do you think the world is getting better or is it getting worse? What do you think people answer by far? Worse. Yeah, by far worse. Yeah. They ask the question in the U.S., do you think the world is getting better or worse? 90%, almost without hesitation, say that the world is getting worse. And you ask that question in Europe, it's like 94% say that the world is getting worse. We actually think that things are just, that everywhere that poverty is on, it's rampant and that, you know, this, this, the inequality is just gaining steam and that we're looking around the world and we're just going, this place is going to hell around us. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you some of the actual statistics because we're building a life based on comfort. Right now, in the last 200 years, which in the scope of humanity is, what, the last second? So in the last 200 years, that the rate of people in abject poverty, that means people who don't have enough to just food and and water and shelter, that 200 years ago, 90% of humanity was in abject poverty. 90%. Today, it's 10%. 
just in 200 years, can you imagine all of humanity? That's every person on the planet going from 90% down to 10%. That's a, that's a dramatic improvement. Yeah. What about um, life expectancy? You look at kids, like the mortality or infant mortality rate. Well, infant mortality rate 200 years ago, it was something like the living to the age of five, 45% of kids died before the age of five. 45% <laughs> around the world. It's under 4% now. Really? Wow. Yeah. And what about when we go, well, what about education, schooling, and literacy? Well, 200 years ago, it was something like only 15% of society could read and write. It's 85% now. It's like when you look at the across the world, like is the world getting better? Like it's not even a question. Like when if we're measuring it towards what we think we're measuring it to, which is are we getting wealthier? Are we getting more educated? Are we getting healthier? Like, yes, across the board and not even by close. It's by this massive margin. Mm -hmm. So much so that if the, all of human society that has ever lived was suddenly looking at the last 200 years and just those of us who have existed now, we are the 1% of 1% and every one of us is living a privileged, blessed life. And yet we are walking around this planet every day talking about how much this world is going to hell and how much the world sucks and we should just burn it down because what's the point? Yeah. How's that? Yeah. It, it is crazy in that regard, man. It is crazy. I mean, this country, for sure, because how many people are upset and how many people are willing to complain out there? And, yeah, again, I mean, even if you live in this country, you, you're in the top 1% in, in yeah. the world. You're, you make you, – you make you be – as long as you're above the poverty line, you're, you're still – you got it made. Yeah. And you see these people, though, and a perfect example of this, these people who don't realize how good it is, is Antifa. Oh yeah, <laughs> Antifa. These guys who whose parents are scholars, you know, they live in the they live in the burbs in a nice house. They grew up. They still live with their parents, and they don't want to get yep. a job, you know, because oh, who wants to make just fifteen bucks an hour and and be a slave for somebody? No, and so they're sitting here talking about how bad it is. You guys, you guys, again, like you said, you want to burn the whole thing down just because it's not going exactly in the way that you want it to be. You, it, yeah. Things aren't exactly in that mold that you think would be this perfect utopia. Like, get, get over yourself, man, and get out there and get a job and fucking contribute and be somebody. It's, and it's so, this is very Jordan Peterson-esque, but I think one of the worst things in the world that you can give to somebody is give them exactly what they're asking for, but not have it be what they want. <laughs> right? If you want to see someone get miserable is have someone who's dedicated their life to thinking I should be comfortable, and if I could just be comfortable, I'd be happy. Mm -hmm. We'll give them all of the comforts of the world, and then suddenly, that psychologically, they're still not happy. Yeah, yeah That's where you're going to find the most angry, upset, miserable person. Mm -hmm. Because then what is their life about? Yeah. If your life was supposed to be about comfort, and you got it, and you're still not happy. Yeah. You're like, I'm doing better than everybody else in this regard, and I still am this pissed off all the time? And I think that's what brings us back to this idea that somehow that there's no point to suffering. Well, let me ask you a question. If you ever asked a person like, hey, tell me a little bit who you are. So if I went, Aaron, tell me about who you are. Well, your first answer might be, well, here's my job and here's my age and work. And I go, no, 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 no. Tell me why are you the way you are? Well, then you're going to have a handful of experiences and you're going to go, well, all right, I'm going to tell you about some tragedy that happened to me in my life. And when this thing happened when I was a kid and this is what happened to me as an adult and your entire story is going to be about how, what are the decisions that you made when you approach suffering? 
What are the decisions that you made when you approached adversity and how you overcame it and how that shaped you? And through that, you decided who you wanted to be and who you didn't want to be. And I would point out the fact that you probably wouldn't even know who you are without suffering. You wouldn't know who you are because you might go, this is the kind of decisions I would make. This is the kind of person I would be. But you know what? I've actually never been in any difficult time. So I don't actually know what I would really choose in the moment. Yeah. It was only through suffering and difficult trials and moments and overcoming it that you went, hey, I actually know who I am. Yeah. So now when we try to build our life without suffering to maximize comfort, you are trying to build a life where you will never know who you are. Yeah. You want to know why anxiety is going off the charts? Depression is all time high. Suicide rates have never been higher. Like, I think it's. We are, the more physically comfortable that we get, the less suffering we have, the more psychologically miserable we are. <laughs> we don't know who we are. Yeah, it's true. It's true. You go through some shit, and, and, and that's when you find out your true character and what you're really made of. Yeah. And when you get through that stuff and you look back on it and you say, man, I didn't know, I didn't know how that was going to turn out there. That got pretty dicey there. I, oh, geez. It was ugly. You came to the other side and you're still in one piece and you're still yeah. doing You're like, wow, I, I didn't even know I could put up with that. Who would have known? I was talking to some uh, woman the other day and she, she's from Mexico. And she was telling me, like, we were having this conversation. I don't even know why we we're having the conversation, but we were. And she told me the story and her childhood story was traumatic. And she was like, didn't even know her parents. Basically got like she doesn't want she got abandoned on the streets. Right. Nice. Spent the first few years of her life just begging for food. Right. Basically got taken into an orphanage, eventually got adopted. She spent most of her younger years wondering why she even existed on this planet. (laughs) She used to say that like she would regularly pray to God to go, why do I even exist? Why even make me if I was going to suffer? Yeah. But then she told me that over time that like she always had to kind of go back to why did she have to why was it so difficult to start off with her life? But over time, she was realizing that as she overcame that, as she's kind of built up her life through that experience, she knows who she is infinitely better than if she had not gone through it. So right now she looks back at those moments and go, yeah, I don't look at those as being good things. I'm not, you know, I don't wish those on anybody else. But at the same time, if you gave me the opportunity right now to take those things away, I wouldn't. Yeah. Because... If I if those things didn't happen, I wouldn't know who I am today. Yeah. So even as bad and terrible and evil as they were, I wouldn't give them up because somehow in some weird way, they've actually been made beautiful. Mm -hmm. Right. They've been made productive to the point where I go. Yeah, I I wouldn't wish it away because who would I be? Yeah. Just just cuz something bad happens doesn't mean that you can't derive something good from that. Yeah. So, yeah, I this what you're saying right now, I completely 110% agree with you. One of our last episodes, I think this might be the new mantra for the podcast to be oh, honest. Yeah? All right. Yeah, it was titled Adversity is our strength. Ooh. And I I I true I, like I truly think it is. I truly yeah. think it is. It shows your true colors. It shows what you're made of. And yeah, like you, everything you said. And also once you go through that, once you go through some traumatic stuff and you make it out to the other side, you're kind of like, 
well, you know, I did that. I mean, you know, what what else do you got for me? I mean, I don't think it'd get much worse. So yeah. here we are still doing my thing. You know, you still assuming a normal everyday life. And and that's the thing, because everybody's going to have some tragedy in their life. Yeah. Nobody's going to avoid it. OK, sorry, guys. Nobody's going to avoid it. I mean, maybe if your mom dies when she's 85 years old, maybe you might get lucky and that's the worst tragedy you have to deal with in your life. Maybe. No. But probably you're not, not going to make it. But but probably not. No. <laughs> yeah, it's a matter happened. of time. It's a matter yeah. of time, and it's always looming in the background. But yeah, you go through that stuff though, and that shows you what you can cope with. And you say, and then the next time you're in a tough situation, maybe not the exact same type of situation. Oh yeah. But you say, well, you know what? I dealt with that other thing. Who says I can't do this? This is nothing. This is a cakewalk. I got this. No yeah. problem at all. And again, it's like the relationship. You come back, and you're battle hardened. Yeah. And you're ready for that next fight, and you're like, I'm. I, I know what to expect. I know what's coming into this with, and I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna take this down. Yeah, we, we've. I mean, we even try to take the suffering out of our kids' experience. Oh, God. It, it's a difficult thing as a parent to put yourself in positions like where you have to watch your kids struggle and suffer, and you you have to be able to think beyond the moment. That's why we don't even like having sporting events where there's like winners and losers because we don't really want to have to see an eight-year-old kid have to deal with losing a game. Yeah. But God forbid. I know. But in, and I know sometimes we make it a joke, but what about from the aspect of you're teaching your kid how to deal with the fact that sometimes you lose in life? Sometimes you may, if you can't build your life around being happy all the time because sometimes you're not happy. Mm-hmm. Sometimes legitimately you lose your job. Sometimes you get sick. Sometimes you're you a kid passes away, or a spouse gets sick, or a family member. It, there's all kinds of tragedy that happen in this world. All right, we need to have moments as a kid where you can't wait till that moment when suddenly you have the biggest tragedy in your life to mm-hmm. suddenly f- to figure out how are you going to cope with it? How yeah. are you going to get yourself righted again? Yeah. You need these moments where, as a parent, sometimes I see my kid like hit some, hit something. And it's hitting them hard, and, and I realize I can't jump in and save them. Yeah, no. I, I have to like, I have to like stand off to the side for a moment and go, all right, how are you gonna how are you gonna figure this one out? Mm-hmm. How are you gonna like yeah. figure out what your priorities through? How are you gonna work through it? How are you gonna decide to get back to a place of joy again mm-hmm. when you've been through something that where you're legitimately not happy? Yeah, I think about this all the time. I wonder what percentage of parents out there these days that if they could, if they had the choice, they could push a button or they flick a switch and their kid would not have to go through any adversity, wouldn't have to suffer at all until they're out there in the world. I wonder how many of the parents would do that. Because I, I think it's a, I think it'd be a surprisingly high percentage. Yeah. And, and for, for, for some messed up reason, we think we've kind of decided that that's what being a good parent is, yeah. which is, well, I need to save up for all of my, the, my college because I don't want my, you know, my kid to have to work while he's, you know, or he or she is going to school. When in reality is, why not? Maybe one of the best things for them is having to step away from school for a moment. To have to to earn up some money in order to pay for it themselves. Yep. Yep. Maybe the process of realizing how valuable it is mm-hmm. and that it re- requires effort and work and sacrifice. Having that, to manage that, their time well between school yes, and work. Absolutely. And All that, you, that stuff. You, that you need these moments of being able to pull away to go, is it something that you really want? Mm-hmm. Because part of the problem is we, we do these things where 
you didn't really make your kid have to decide, is that what they really want? And is it worth the sacrifice? It's just given to them. And you know what happens to the things that you're given in your life that you don't know if you really want? You don't give two squirts of piss about it. <laughs> yeah, you don't. Yeah, and you don't treat it that way. No. And I remember going through school, and I mean, I had to. My, my parents helped me some, but I had to pay for a lot of my own school as I went. And I remember at the beginning feeling a lot of jealousy about that. Yeah, I look at my some of my good friends who like they could they could party every day. They didn't have to worry about how they were going to pay for their books. They didn't have to try to manage a job. And yet somewhere by year three of college, they were struggling to stay focused. They were struggling with their grades about whether they wanted to make it. And then there was a group of us who were paying, who were paying our way who had become kind of focused, right? We, we had our, our schedule and our regiment for how we were going. And I didn't realize it at the time, but there was something that I had adopted that experience as my own mm -hmm. because every day I was having to decide, is this really worth this much work? Mm -hmm. And I could have decided, no, yeah. it's not worth it. Well, then I'll just go, I, and I, rightfully so, I should just go get another job and not go through it. Yeah. But for me, having decided if this was really worth it, well, that mattered when it got to the end and it started getting really hard. Yeah. Well, and, and on a daily basis, you're sitting there and you're having to evaluate to yourself. You're saying, holy cow, you know, this is okay. This really sucks. This is all right. I like this. Yeah. And, and at least, you know, you're, you're going through the process, you're doing the thing. So you're going to know if this is what you really want. But, yeah. but yeah, you said when things are given to you, like, oh my God, that my entire <laughs> problem with the welfare state that we live in these days oh, yeah. is that when these things are given to you, yeah, you don't care at all. You yep. didn't have to earn it. You didn't have to put any sweat. You didn't have to go through any adversity, any suffering for it. You don't even care. A perfect example. I love her to death, okay? She's the most important person <laughs> in my life. But my mom is essentially, uh, I mean, I don't want to call her a welfare queen, but you know, yeah. she's been living off the state for a while now. And I see her, and because this money is just handed to her, and she doesn't have to show up for yeah. it, she doesn't have to put in any hard labor, she doesn't have to put in any sweat, she could care less about it. Yeah. She could care less about it, and she could blow it, and pfft, no sweat off her back. Who cares? Yeah. I don't have to do anything for it. Yeah, the one, you, you know, if you're working all day, and you had, and you had $100 at the end of a long, hard day, <laughs> that $100 like, about mm, how it's spent mm, is going to matter a lot more to you. Let's see. Uh, $2 for a sandwich? Uh, I don't yeah. know if that's the cheapest sandwich I could find. Uh, not sure. Yeah. Yeah, and it's a completely different attitude, man. Mm. It's a completely different attitude. And, and there's so many people, too. I see them all the time who are on EBT and all this stuff. And, it, and, it, and, and if you told these people, you'd be like, hey, um, so listen, we're going to do the thing. You know, we're going to keep giving you that, like, 150 bucks a week for food, you know, because it's yeah. expensive to eat. We're gonna do, but we're going to need you to work, like, five hours a week for that? Yeah. 75% of these people. I'm done. No, thanks. Good. I'm good. I, you want me to work 20 hours a month? Uh, no, I, it's not that important to me. I can just buy less Slurpees. Mm. And, and that, I guarantee you that that's exactly what would See, happen. And I think this is what happens when, um, like, w when you, when we suddenly view, like, giving, like, we take away the giving portion, and suddenly we, we put in this third party, like a government. <laughs> and you don't have AKA to... A.K.A. daddy these yes. days. And the government, I mean, it's no longer one per one person giving to another person. It's now the government stepping in to say, I'm going to take the resources right, without that person's choice, mm -hmm. and then I'm going to give it to another person. Mm -hmm. 
Well, I think that fundamentally breaks the relationship between a giver and a receiver. Because if you're in a voluntary situation, let's say, like, um, like I, I go to church. So at my church, like we actually, it's a small church. There's like 300 of us, mm-hmm. but nobody's forced to give there. But we have something like where everybody kind of voluntarily gives, but every once in a while, people in our community, somebody goes through tough times. They go through a hard time. Somebody loses a job or somebody gets sick. And because we're in a community, then, then there's other people who go, hey, I, we, cooked, we made dinner for you. Mm-hmm. And, we, and suddenly you'll, you'll notice that somebody gets sick. They'll have like weeks in a row where they never had to cook dinner because people are bringing food over. Yeah. And then someone else goes, well, I'm not able to pay my mortgage this month. Because I lost yeah. my month. Other people are collecting money and paying their mortgage Hey, for Jerry, them. work some overtime this week. We got an extra 100 bucks. Yeah. We can throw you guys away. And what it changes is, one, is that you feel differently about your resources when you voluntarily give it to somebody else. And also when you're that person and I've had to be that person at some point when you're receiving something and you know, the people who came, who it came from, you know that they voluntarily sacrificed for it. You feel like an appreciation for that gift that way differently than if you said, if it was the government taking it Writing for you a check. Yeah. And then also you find suddenly find yourself in a position which goes, Hey, if I ever find myself in a position where I can give, like I want, like I can't wait to pass this on to someone else. Yeah. yeah. And then someday, and you do, you work harder to try to get out of your circumstance. Mm -hmm. And then when you have a little extra to give, the moment somebody else is in a tough spot, you're like the first person making dinner for them or giving over some funds because you know exactly what it meant when somebody did that for you. Yep. And the nice thing about that too, that you didn't even mention is there's a level of accountability. You know, that guy, those people worked oh, hard. Yeah. They gave you some yes. money. Yeah. You're not going to be a complete slacker. You're not mm-hmm. going to screw off and just, oh, yeah, thanks. You can go to the casino and blow that money. No, these people are going to be looking over you and, and they're yeah. going to be checking up on you to make sure that you're still good and you're doing your thing. And yeah, you better have a story for them. What happened? I paid the bill or whatever and I'm working towards this now. Yeah. You, can't, you can't just be like, oh, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure what happened. Uh, you know, there was a, <laughs> uh, something came up. No, you can't do that. There's a level of accountability too. And yeah, that's right. If you run into them at the casino, <laughs> yeah, exactly, and they're, and they're blitzed out of their mind, yeah. we had we had extra money. What's your excuse? Yeah, all right? chances are you're not bringing over meatloaf the, the next night, exactly, because they can't pay their mortgage. Yeah, and 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 this is the thing. Like, I don't want to sound like a SJW uh, uh, hero here, you <laughs> know. Late. But well, yeah, I don't know. But. Um, I feel like too, like this is one of my big problems with this country is the tax system, and no, Trump didn't make it any better. It's just it's just as bad still. My problem with the tax system mainly is that it rewards people who don't work and oh, it yeah. punishes people who do work. Yeah. So if you don't want to work, it, we'll give you a check. We'll help you out. We'll give you some better. But you do want to work? Oh, great. We're going to need like 25% of what you got there because, you know, we were right there with you when the alarm was going off in the morning and you were getting up at five o'clock. Yeah. The, the president was right there with you. You know, we were doing, we were helping you, right? You know, it, no, it, that wasn't happening at all, yeah. actually. And if, you know, we didn't have to pay, I mean, for me, I, I pay probably lower than you, I'm going to guess. I pay lower than some people. I mean, you have, you have some kids, so who knows? Yeah. But, um, you know, 25% of my check's gone. And, yeah. and it's like, I look at that money and I'm like, how much of that could I be giving for charitable purposes if I wasn't paying that? Yeah. And, 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 and listen, I can still 
pay my taxes and be charitable? No question about it, okay? I'm not going to sit here and say like that. that's not the case. But at the same time, when I'm getting robbed by them, I don't have the means as much yeah. to be as charitable to other people. And I think private charity is where it's at because, again, we talk about the accountability. And it's, it's focused and it's localized, too. You know, it's like, hey, like you said, your community. Everybody knows each other. We know what's going on here. We talk to each other. Hey, how's how's Jerry been? How's Sue? Is she okay? She had that hip thing. Yeah. And you know where where the needs, where the resources need to go. You know, it's a lot more focused. You're not going to waste them. There's no bureaucracies, none of that mm-hmm. BS. It's going right to where it's needed. Yeah. And you I mean, th- there is the you're taking away some of the dignity of the giver by not giving them the opportunity to give, right? Because you're taking away that opportunity. In fact, there's a a growing number of people, of people who would be givers Mm -hmm. who suddenly have to be receivers. Yeah, yeah. In other words, you you took away not only their ability to give, but now suddenly they don't have the extra that they would have had otherwise. Mm -hmm. And so now you've set up the government as being this, the benevolent benefactor of people. Yeah. And you have more people who are suddenly forced to be in a situation of receiving from the government rather than being in the position to be able to take care of each other. Yeah. And, and again, there's no accountability when the government's cutting you a check every month. There's no accountability to that at all. You're like, oh, great, government funds. Great. Let's go get yeah. a couple milkshakes. And uh, you, don't, you don't even care. You don't care at all. Yet, again, if it's somebody that you know from your community who worked hard for that money and they said, you know what, I need to pay my, pay my dues at this point and I need to help out, it's just such a, a more focused and a, just a m- much more efficient way of allocating funds. And I feel like with a lot less money, we could do just as well as uh, all the government has done with whatever they're trying to work on. You know, who, who knows? I mean, look around here, you know, oh yeah, yeah, we're working on homeless. Oh really? Yeah. I see homeless camps on the side of the freeway at Northgate now. Okay. Yeah. We're talking miles out of the city. Like, oh yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, you want more, you want more money from Amazon and all these other big companies? Not that I'm here to defend Amazon. Okay. Jeff Bezos can go to hell for all I care. That guy, richest man in the world, doesn't even crack the top 50 in philanthropy as far yeah. as far as donating money goes. I mean, maybe he knows the stock's going to collapse. I feel like maybe he knows it. Could it could be. I mean, maybe he'll be the next Zuckerberg. <laughs> maybe he's, oh, my watch God. Watch his wealth get hit. Boom. Uh, That's a rough one there. <laughs> rough one, you know? <laughs> but but, but I, it's, it's just it, – it, when it's focused like that and, again, and there's accountability, it's just – it's just so much more effective, so much more effective, and it, and it's less of a burden on each of us. You know, yeah. we can all we can all contribute and be a, a part and be accountable as much as we see fit for our everyday lives. Yeah, I, I think it means that. I, I think when I've watched people talk about what they think that they have a right to, I, I don't think we really even understand today what a constitutional right is. Like, if we go back to the Constitution and we look at to see what our rights are, there's nothing in, like, the Bill of Rights that ever talks about that somehow we are owed some sort of physical property, that we're owed some sort of service. All of our rights are pretty much, what is the government not not going to do to you, not do for you? Like, they're not going to impair your speech. Mm-hmm. They're not going to get in the way of your religious freedom. 
All right, there's going to be no unnecessary, you know, search and seizure. There's a lot of things that they're not going to do to you, and that's kind of what a right is. They're not going to infringe on your right to bear arms. Yes. So, but that doesn't mean that they're going to give you a gun. Like, there's no, there's no right that means Man, that the nice. government is going to give us services. And so, we've been slowly introducing this notion that rights are that the government somehow owes you simply because you're a human. <laughs> that the government is going to magically create services and wealth and items for you. Mm-hmm. And so now we walk around talking with terms like, "Well, healthcare is a right." <laughs> No, it's that is one of the most laughable concepts if you actually think it through. Healthcare is a right. You mean like you mean like you have a right that there will be a doctor who is forced <laughs> to give you services, and so we're going to take people and force them to go to school and get training and education and learn how to be a doctor, and we're going to force them into a building because you have a right. To that person's time and resources and energy and life because why? Yeah. Like, it, it's such a silly idea. And we, we talk now right to housing. Like that a government. Right now the government can. The only reason that we have these things is because our government can borrow trillions of dollars. We, we have this idea that somehow that these are going to be rights that we can have forever. Yeah. They're only as good a right as we can borrow money. Yeah. The moment that suddenly other countries stop lending us money, and by the way, there will be a moment when other countries stop lending us money. At some point, well, we have what twenty-two trillion in yeah, debt, close to, and we have unfunded liabilities of like fifty to two hundred trillion. Yeah. At some point, we are a bad investment, and other countries are going to get wise to it to go. Wait a second, you're never going to be able to pay me back this money. The only reason you've been able to make your payment so far is because you've been borrowing money from me in order to pay me back. Yeah. Okay, I'm done lending you money. You need to start paying me back, at which point our entire system collapses. Yeah. And everything that we called a right, (laughs) the housing. Good luck with that. Yeah, that right was as good as the empty check that it was written on when suddenly your government comes back and goes, oh, yeah, not only can I not give you your housing and I can't pay for your health care, but also your retirement and Social Security. Yeah, also that Kinda really wasn't that a right either because there is no pool of cash sitting yeah. off to the side. Oh, and Medicare. Yeah, Medicare. There's also not a pool of cash. All of those promises are gone the moment other countries stop paying them for us. Yeah, and uh, just so you know, uh, as far as that national debt goes, you're on the hook for about 80 80- thousand of it so uh we'll take check cashier's check however you want to pay it you know yeah. but uh yeah however you can get that to us and by that that's a right the right is you're gonna have to pay your eighty thousand by the way eighty thousand that just is that's for every citizen yeah that's that so that's so so we need infants to contribute their eighty thousand too yeah. and that's you know? not a, we need all of them that's just the the 22 trillion or 20 trillion i think it's up yeah. to like a hundred thousand yeah. if you look at total but then when you consider unfunded liabilities, and by the way, like Social Security, Medicare, right? There's no pile of cash sitting. Those are just, right? We have IOUs that we wrote. Yeah. We go, because we spend all the money that we collect for it. Yeah. So all of the future money that like you that you think that you've been setting aside Social Security, <laughs> yeah, there's no money set aside. Yeah. So It's going to be the greatest generational transfer of wealth of all time. You know, because we're going to pay all this to them, and then we're going to get zero back for it. Yeah. But, 
But yeah, I mean, it, like, yeah, like you, you said, you didn't realize you, you're the greatest transfer of wealth has been your generation for the last generation. Yeah, they've yeah. been so, like the, the ones who had all the money. Yeah, the, the ones who had all the money. The comfort that we've been living for the last couple of generations has been funded by the next couple of generations. Yeah. At some point, they're going to have to pay the bill for all of the rights that we get to experience now. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it, it is so crazy and what a lot of, you know, the socialism has just become so popular in the Democratic Party which is unfathomable to me. Like I I can't I can I mean, maybe the media's blowing it up more than it really is in real life. That's certainly a possibility, but I can't even fathom it. But like you said with all these people that want the government take care of this, take care of that, take care of this. Do you guys not realize these dummies can't take care of anything? Have you guys not figured this out yet? And the worst part of that too is that once they try to set it up and they say, "Yeah, we'll take you, we'll do your health care, we'll take care of the education, sure, we'll do all this." Once it all falls apart, like you're talking about, yeah, we're even worse off if they just said, uh, "Hey, listen, you guys, we'll take care, make sure Shinoni infringes you, you got your liberty, all that," but you're on your own. Yeah, like we're gonna be way worse off once the whole system fucking collapses in on itself. Yeah, after that, so it's like, why not just go out there and get it for yourself and not have to count on anybody else? Because, we can't support this yeah. government. You guys, again, like you said, like we don't have the right to have somebody perform a service for us. Yeah, that's not how it works. If you have money and you exchange money for somebody else for their time, okay, well that's a completely different thing. But you don't just get that from them. Yeah. It takes years of of college, years of training, years of working. You don't just get that. That's not promised to you by anything. You're promised life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, and way too many taxes. That's all you're promised, yeah. okay? And death eventually. That's it. I know. I, I think that um, we're going to see a lot of my – by the way, I think that there's a very little likelihood that in your lifetime that it doesn't collapse. I, I, I totally – I mean, we are like the happy-go-lucky Titanic. You know, music's playing. We are living it up. Yeah, you can hear all the music going on. And we're like, well, this is very nice. It's the right that we have to live here on the Titanic. And I have my joyous meals. This ship is unsinkable. Oh, what did we just hit? The greatest nation in the world. Yeah, like, oh, that's... I we're, we're kind of in that moment. And by the way, if you go back and you look at, like, the Great Depression how quickly it came, that's the parts that's scariest to me, which is... The that, roaring 20s? Yeah, people were living it up, had no idea. It was, it was something like there was a 50% reduction in manufacturing in one month. <laughs> it went from like... It went like, whoa. It, it, you didn't have like months or years yeah. to kind of go, hey, I don't think this thing is looking so good. Yeah, something doesn't feel right. It's like the bottom fell out. And then in month two, it fell by like another 50%. It was suddenly down like 80% over like two months. Suddenly, most of the country didn't have a job instantly. Yeah. Like this is where I go. We, we've become so soft in this country because we really – we don't have any kind of perspective that somehow that this gravy train is ever going to end. We just keep thinking, well, they've been able to borrow so far. They keep borrowing more and borrowing more. And we're just living this high life. And at no point is this is no point is this Titanic ever going to yeah. like run into an iceberg. Mm-hmm. And the moment it does, we're going to suddenly realize that there is no other country that can save the United States. Well, and, and when you look back at 2008. Yeah. The Federal Reserve pulled a rabbit out of the hat 
Okay, oh, they, yeah. they reinflated this bubble. They they propped it up one more time. Who who thought they could? I mean, you look back before that, and it was uh, it was Wall Street that was bailing out a hedge fund. Yeah, you know, back in the two thousands. Well, the next one, it had to be the federal government bailing out Wall Street. Yeah, who's going to bail out the feds? Yeah, who who's going to bail them out? There's, Nobody. And this is going to be strike three, and we're going to be down yeah. for the count. And like you said, it could change in a heartbeat. Yeah. In a heartbeat. That's what's so crazy. I, I'm a, I nerd out. The one thing I nerd out for <laughs> is like financial markets and all yeah. that kind of crazy stuff. You know, all this stupid man-made derivatives and all this shit. <laughs> and the craziest part about all of it is how big of a factor sentiment plays into all of it. And yeah. what's what's the mood? How do, how do people feel? What's going on? Do things feel good? Oh yeah, we're we're roaring in the twenties. Yeah, everything's good. Everybody's dancing. Da, 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 da. You know, everything's. And then, like you said, the bottom can drop out like a wet paper sack. Just yeah. you, you don't even see. And 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 we see it right now. You know, oh, unemployment's four percent. Okay, well, yeah, it is. Well, if we have a a quarter where all the top companies are laying off 5% of their workforce. Okay. Well, that's going to be up to 8% in no time. And yeah. what else is affected from that? Housing markets hit, uh, car, car markets hit auto industry. I mean, the things can just, we have it so good right now. And, and, and that's what gets me about all these people who want to whine and complain about all this little nuanced stuff that really doesn't matter in the scheme of things. It's like, we're doing good right now. We might not be doing good really soon. Yeah. And you're focusing on the wrong thing here. Okay. This is, this is minuscule. This is yeah. nothing once, once the bottom drops out. Okay. And we don't like, so you looked at what happened with Greece. Well, see Greece, the bottom can fall out in their debt and suddenly they can go into collapse and then suddenly Germany can come in and, and save them. You look at Venezuela, right? Venezuela, by the way, you notice how we almost rarely hear about them in the news anymore. Like when they were like the new socialist utopia <laughs> a decade ago, you know, and then suddenly they were like, yeah, look how the they had this mass collection of individual like liberty and rights suddenly got absorbed by the government. And we kept holding them up as see America. Here's yet another example of the socialist utopia that could be. It's funny how we don't hear about them anymore now that there is starvation in the streets. Yeah. You know, the average citizen in Venezuela has lost 24 pounds. <laughs> They're literally starving. How, do, how does a 110-pound girl lose 24 pounds? Yeah, exactly. How, how do you do that? They, have, they were estimating that a million people were leaving Venezuela and going into Colombia. Uh-huh. It's just this mass, mass exodus. Yeah. But the thing is, when you're a smaller country and you collapse like that, you can run into the country next <laughs> nearby. You can find another place. You know what happens to the world's economy when the U.S. falls? <laughs> well, right now, where do you think China gets all of their money? Like China's all of their jobs comes from our spending money. Yeah. Like they, they produce most of our clothes and most of our technology and most of our items. Well, guess what? The moment that we stop buying those things... China goes into one of the mass, the biggest recessions and depressions of their history. Yeah. We are going to take down the entire world with us when we fall. Yeah. There's going to be no other country that we can run to to go get a nice cushy job mm-hmm. because they're going to be doing everything they can to survive too. You look at Europe. Europe is as a big a mess of debt that we are in. Yeah. In fact, they're the step ahead of us when it comes to the socialist utopia. Not to mention they have other things that they're working about that are working against them too. But 
Yeah, no, Venezuela. That's a that's a tricky one, man. It's like, yeah, he, you know, things are good when you're uh, fleeing to your neighbors of Colombia who have been embroiled in a civil <laughs> yes. war for fifty years now, but, but we're going there for refuge. Yeah, when that's that's your better option. Yeah, yeah. when your president's telling you, yeah, you know, uh, eat those bunnies. You know, that's two and a half kilos of good meat there. Yeah, you know, bunny meat. Come on, guys. Yeah, we're looking. At, it looks like Nicaragua is on the edge of now starting to enter where Venezuela is. So they're they're on the edge of collapsing down too. You know, I, I think that you know when you got Mexico too, they just uh, elected oh, yeah. AMLO. They just elected AMLO, the socialist. Yeah. So I mean, I'm sure it's going to get even greater than it is right now down there. We keep we keep on this slow step towards socialism, where we uh, it's it's in those moments, and I think it's because. Going back to that original idea that right now our ultimate goal is comfort. Well, when you're promised that a government can make you more comfortable than you are by having your freedom, then suddenly you go, well, if my highest goal is comfort, well, then sure, I'll sacrifice some of my individual rule of my life, right? I'll sacrifice some of my own liberty and choices and freedom yeah, because I'm getting the promise of free stuff yeah. and the government can do something that we can't. It can go print its own money. It can go borrow against future, future uh, societies and cultures, the next generation, in order to go pay for it. Yeah. So they're able to go promise and pay and give us stuff in the short term that we couldn't ourselves. But can you imagine it's going to be the look on people's faces when suddenly there's no retirement and there's no, there's no money there to give free food and no money for a housing no money for health care, and suddenly we are left up to our own resources, our own capabilities to figure out how we are going to fight through and figure this out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's going to be a pretty big moment of panic. Yeah, it's going to be dramatic, and it's going to be uh, a shocking eye-opener for a lot of people who haven't prepared themselves for that. Yeah. But here's the thing, though. If we had just establish that as the way things went yeah right off the get-go and just hey you're on your own man this is the united states you you're free to succeed as much as you want or you're free to fail as much as you want yeah. if we just embrace then we wouldn't even have this situation in front of us yeah but now yeah since we've got to the point where since we live in the greatest country in the in the entire world that now we think that everything that we want out of our life should just be promised to us by the government now we've set ourselves up for the real big fall and yeah i, I mean so many people are going to get burned. It's, it's, it's just crazy. And, and you know, I, I, I like to think that I'm preparing myself and getting ready. I'm, I'm going to be blindsided, yeah. too. I'm going to yeah, be we, blindsided we just are. like the rest of them. <laughs> just like the rest of them. Even though I've been thinking about this for 18 months now. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm still going to get blown away. Something's going to happen. I'm, you know, I could lose my job quicker than I think. Yeah. Uh, any, just anything could come up. And, you know, uh, I, hate to, I hate to quote him, but... I really hate to do it first time on this podcast, but Karl Marx. Oh wow! Yeah, I, I hate to do myself. it. Oh. I hate to do it. All right, I'm gonna have to leave. Disaster comes faster than you can react to it. Yes. Oh yeah. Well, I think that's the only time I'll ever quote that asshole. <laughs> well, the one thing I think that we can do, which is, you know, the idea of like saving up, you know, money because. I'll tell you, you know what saving up paper money in Venezuela did you? Because they, they have a one... You know, Get your have, wheelbarrow. Yeah, they have 1 million percent inflation rate now. <laughs> like, so basically, you know, the paper is worthless. Yeah. The one thing that you can do, right, is prepare yourself mentally, which means when something is taken away, 
do you go that somehow some major injustice was done to you? Because the longer you stay in that point, right, then the more you're going to be out revolting against a government that can't fulfill its promise anyway. Yeah. Versus the people who go, I knew at some point this gravy train was going to end and it's over. I now have a very finite amount of time to try to figure out how to change myself, make myself into something that can survive the new reality. This all goes back to how do you, how do you, what have you done in your life so that when you are come with suffering, when you come with difficult moments and trials, that you look at it and go, I have been through difficult things in the past. And so I know that this trial, even though it's different, it's bigger than anything I've had in the before, yeah. I still know that I can come through this. I can be developed by it. And I think that's the most that we can do for our communities, for our families, for our children, is to continue to develop that kind of trait. And that, by the way, is like the original American trait, is you had a bunch of people who came here with nothing but the promise of being able to pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness by whatever means you chose. Yeah. The promise of freedom to choose their fortune and their path and what they're going to do. And, yeah, you know, it, it, that's a good point. I mean, getting prepared for it mentally is a huge part of it, yeah. no question. And I had a guest on a couple of weeks ago, my buddy Darren. He came on and he said something, and it, it, so, it sounded blasphemous when he said it, but it kind of hit me afterwards, you know, and it, it kind of leveled with me. And he said that we all need to prepare ourselves to work harder and expect less and yeah. said to myself who the who the heck would want to do that <laughs> who wants to work harder and expect yeah. less but at the same time i think with the situation that we're in as a country i think that's probably the best you can do at this point you know just yeah. expect to, things that might get a little rough but if you keep your head to the grindstone and you keep pushing forward and, you know, just do the best you can, hopefully it'll work out. I mean, and that's what gets me about all these people who want to complain, again, about all this little tiny stuff. It's like, we're yeah. doing so good, okay? And, and all those people, those are going to be the ones that are really blindsided. Those ones who are complaining and moaning yeah. about how terrible things are right now. Ooh, just wait till they really get bad, okay? You you guys haven't seen bad yet. You guys have no clue. And 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 are you guys preparing for that? No. Even yeah. though you want, even though you want to burn it all down, you're still not preparing for it actively. Okay, you're not taking the steps to make sure that you survive the burning down. No, yeah. you just want that to happen. Yeah. And they're they're gonna get hit the worst, man. They're they're, they're gonna they're gonna get depleted. It's dude. yeah. You see you see the thing that drives people. Is it's you in this metric, and I don't even know what good it does, but it's when we compare wealth and equality. All right, and people are really driven by how much wealth the rich have compared to how much other people have. But let me ask you another question. If you didn't know, let's say you had to judge how your life was doing, not based on how some what somebody else had, but yeah. just on what you had, mm-hmm. you'd look at it and go, Well, wait a second, like the average standard of living. Is way higher than it used to be. Average college education is way higher. Like all of the metrics for comfort in your life. All of them. If you simply didn't know that other people had more, you'd be just fine. But instead, what we, and you said it before, like if you were at the poverty line in the US, so let's say you're at the 80th percentile in wealth in the US. So you're like poverty here. Well, well, I'm sorry, at the 20th percentile. You're at the 80th percentile from the world standpoint. Like you're already in the top 20% 
You're even, crushing it. Even just because you're in this country. Killing it. So when we looked at people protesting the 1%, really, from the if the rest of the world and the humanity was looking at us, what they would be seeing is, hey, that's the 2% is protesting against the 1%. <laughs> like, what are they so angry about? They're like, the 2% is like, well, we're just so mad because there's somebody out there who has more than us. Yeah, yeah. And the thing is, is there's always going to be people out there who have more than you, and there's always going to be people who have less than you. Yeah. No matter who you are. You brought up Bill Gates, didn't go on a vacation for 15 years. Okay. Now, there's people who have more than him. Yeah. It's not a lot. It's just a couple guys. But that guy worked for 15 years straight, and now there's people that still have more money than him at this point. So you're always going to have people with less, and you're always going to have people with more. So you just need to go out there and get what you think you deserve and what you're willing to work for and willing to do whatever you can to achieve. Yeah, That's why I don't actually think, you know, I think if somebody's going to listen to this podcast up to this moment, they're going to be like, is this a doomsday message? (laughs) But I, I started off by saying that we're not happy now. As a society, right, we think the world's getting worse. Mm-hmm. So if already 90% of the U.S., 94% of Europe says that the world is getting worse, then obviously getting all of this comfort and wealth and standard of living, it's not, it's not translating into being satisfied, into being happy, into being actualized. And fulfilled. So what if the model itself breaks and suddenly you lose your comfort? You lose the security. You lose all these rights. Mm-hmm. But in the end, you find out that you're a survivor. You find out you can make it. And maybe you have less, but maybe you find out that you're happier. Maybe you find out that in the suffering and the difficulties and being challenged and when you came through, you went, you know what? Somewhere weird and deep inside, this is a more fulfilling life, having responsibility and coming through through suffering than, than was a life that was built around comfort. Yeah. And we may end up finding that as terrible as life becomes financially, maybe that things become psychologically a little better. Oh, my gosh. I could not agree with you more, Seth. I could not agree with you more. And that's the thing. Like, I have such a pessimistic outlook when it comes to the economy right now. Like, at this, yeah. at this very particular moment, I have such a pessimistic outlook. And I don't like being that. You know, I don't want to be the guy who's, oh, it's, it sucks. Everything's bad. Oh, it's going to be terrible. Oh, blah. But I think you're right. I think that we need we we certainly need to go through some pain. And when you look back at 2008, there was really no pain. I mean, as long as you didn't have money invested in the stock market, a lot of it, yeah, and you didn't lose your job, there there really was no pain yeah. for the majority of people. But this time is going to be different, and there's going to be some pain this time. But again, I am optimistic in the long run that that situation that crisis that precipitates is potentially what we need to make those tectonic shifts in how our economy works and how we do things and although yeah in the short run you know the the next year two maybe even three we're probably in for a good bit of pain you know it's it's not going to feel good things aren't going to go how we want we're going to have to deal with some adversity it's going to be a little rough at times you realign your priorities in those moments. Exactly. You find out what truly matters to you. Yep. What do you need to maintain? Do you need that brand new car that you're keeping up with the Jones with and you got a $550 payment on? Or, you know, can you get a 
uh, 95 Civic that gets you good gas mileage and doesn't really yeah. cost you anything for a month, you know? And, and that's what we need. We need that realignment. You know, we've had this economy that's just based on consumption. And like you said, we essentially have everything that we want here almost at this everything point. We, everything we asked for. Everything that we've asked for. I don't think for. we're getting what we want, but I think we're getting what <laughs> we asked true. for. That's there's true. A, there's a big distinction there. But, yeah, yes. we're getting everything that we asked for, and we're still not happy, you know? Yeah. And this is, and this is my beef. This is the major grievance that I have with feminism is – you guys are getting all these demands. These you, you, you're nego- you're hostily negotiating. You're getting all these demands, but women still aren't happy. You know, yeah, the majority getting, of women still what you aren't asked happy. For, yeah, and, but is it is it really what you want? Exactly, and it's not. And you know, we just we need that realignment, and un- unfortunately, and we might need a crisis to get that realignment for everybody. And you brought up Social Security and people covering you and everything. I wanted a date recently. With a girl, pretty smart girl. She was actually a little. I like the segue, by the uh, way. <laughs> thank you. A little nerdy, a little nerdy on the finance, like myself, you know. But so we talked about retirement, and all this stuff. And yeah, at the end of the day, nobody's going to take care of you, but yourself. Okay? Yeah. Nobody's going to take care. I mean, I'm working for a company who's paying into a pension for me. Am I counting on that? I mean, maybe it'll come through. Maybe yeah. I don't get that till I'm 65. I don't get to cash in on 65. What can happen in the next 30 years? You're telling me that pension fund can't blow up if the market yeah. takes a 60% tank? It very easily could. Nothing so is, None of it's guaranteed. Not at all. So, you know, if it comes through, awesome. Yeah. But I'm definitely not going to count on it. I'm not going to make that the make or break between me living in a retirement home or me living in a cardboard box behind a dumpster somewhere. I'm definitely not going to make that the variance. And neither is Social Security. Yeah. I, Honestly, at this point, I just wish I could opt out of Social Security. Just don't give me anything. You can have you can have what you got for the last ten years. Don't take anything from me, and I'll take care of myself. Yes, yeah. I think um, <laughs> now. I think that one of the things is when the moment comes. I think that the roots of individual freedom they still they run deeper in this country than I think we realize. And I think it's only when. When you don't have to fight for them, that suddenly they become worthless. And it's been a while since since we've really had to fight for our freedom. And so I, I think that there will come a moment, and I think that's because the only real difference between socialism and communism is that socialism you can have during times of prosperity. <laughs> like I mean, it's when the government has more than enough. And, and we are in the, the tail end of the most massive economic expansion that humanity has ever known. Uh, less than a year away from the longest ever, yes. which, which was the dot-com boom, which that was a nice one. Yeah. And even, even just the short-term dips of just like over the last I – mean, the industrial boom that we have been has just been astronomic. And so, yeah, of course, during this time, we can have all kinds of different type of collectivist governments that kind of form, that can make all kinds of promises. But in those cases, you feel like you're there voluntarily. But what happens the moment that there's a shortage? This is why we always go that we think that there's a big difference between socialism and communism. And the only real difference is, is that at some point when socialism gets really tight, and you can't fulfill your promises and you have to decide who is going to get what and who's not going to get something. Well, in that moment, the people become very, very unhappy against their government. Mm-hmm. And then the people who you were taking from suddenly don't want to voluntarily give it. 
you need then an internal force which will take from people and then which will give people, which will create order in the face of panic and unrest. And suddenly you go, hey, that socialism where it felt like we were all voluntarily here. How come a wall was built, but not to keep people out, but to keep me from leaving? And now there's a government forcing me to do stuff. And suddenly communism comes into place because the state, once it's in charge, ultimately the state is about protecting itself first yeah. and the people second. Yeah. But I think that in this country, when we get to that moment, suddenly that, that reminder that, hey, there's something more important than, than comfort. right? And I think we'll get back to the point of going, you know what? I would rather be free and poor than than taken care of comfortable and enslaved. Yeah. That's interesting, man. And that's a good way to put a positive spin on, you know, a potential economic collapse or something like that. Like maybe, yeah, maybe it's the point that it comes to where we start to embrace individualism again, because we're all in a situation where we got to fight for ourselves. We yeah. got to get it for ourselves. And if, if we don't get it, there's nobody else to count on. And so maybe that, maybe that's what it is. Maybe it reinvigorates that spirit within us because we don't have a choice, you know, yeah. our backs against the wall and we have to do it. And, but in my opinion, that is what's, is what has, is the foundation of this country and what has made this country so great is the fact that it's, all about the individual. Yeah. You know, these people want to say, oh, you know, our group, we weren't represented right. There wasn't enough uh, of this and that. Oh, we didn't do this right. All this, all this country cares about is the individual's rights. Okay. Yeah. You're not, you're not special because you're part of this victim group or in this class or in this minority or in this victimhood status, whatever. You're not important. You're just an individual. And you get the same rights as all the other individuals. Okay, yeah. we don't care what little group or little fragment you put yourself in. It, 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 we don't give a we don't give a damn about that. Okay, yeah. it's not it's not about that. It's about you and your individual liberties. And yeah, maybe we need all need to feel that pain before we say, you know what, I'm going to step up to the plate because if I don't, nobody's going to do this for me. I, I think right now people like there's a high inclination to say yes to this offer which is, Aaron, I'm going to give you the offer of a lifetime. Right now, for the rest of your life, um, I'm going to give you free room and board. You can have free place to stay, free bed. You're not going to have to pay for it. Um, you can have three square meals a day. Won't have to pay for them. You can sit around reading books, watching TV, lift some weights, go for walks. Um, you, your entire life, you, you, we'll give you free schooling, you can do pretty much whatever you want to do, and you're not going to have to pay for it. But, by the way, you're going to be in prison. <laughs> right? Because I just defined to you what life will look like if you spend the rest of your life in prison. Mm -hmm. But how come most of us don't want to choose that option? I'm giving you everything for free because, in the end, the human condition is we would rather have freedom than all of that free stuff. Mm-hmm. I'd rather be on the, on the street trying to make it on my own than have somebody give me everything mm -hmm. but at the cost of my freedom. Yeah, and tell me what I have to do all day long, yeah. where I should be, how I should be, all that stuff. Yeah, no thanks. Uh, like you said, I'd, I, I, think I'd, I honestly think I'd rather be homeless. You yeah. know, At least like when you got through and you woke up every day, you'd be like, oh, wow, I got through another day of not having a place to live. All right, hey, let's see where this one takes us. <laughs> You know, yeah. at least you'd like you wake up feeling a little bit accomplished at that point. But yeah, it's 
it's all about the individual and I, I think you're right. I think once something happens, I think that's when people were going to finally embrace that again. And I think that's going to be a completely good thing. You know, as much as, as much as I'm preparing for a potential downturn, I, I'm not Bill Maher. I don't want to see it come just so we can get <laughs> Trump out of office, Yeah. which, you know, sc- honestly, screw that guy, dude. Like what a, what a dumb thing to say what a dumb thing to say man okay like just get, i th- i think it's gonna I, I think it's coming i don't want it to come okay yeah. i don't want it to be here i'm preparing for it i'm setting myself up for it but i don't want it to show up because yeah. i know there's gonna be a lot of horrific stuff but uh, again from what we've said here who knows maybe there might be more positive in in the long run that comes out of it than anything you know in, well, in the long run yeah and if you want to see how quickly the floor can drop out of something well, all you had to do was look today at what happened to Facebook. Like, oh I mean, what, what perfect the, example, yeah, perfect example. And the news, what did it have that Facebook lost more value in? What, what, what I don't know. It was the largest. Out. It was the largest single loss of market cap. Yeah. For the stock market ever, I think I don't, don't quote me on the exact number, you guys, but I think it was just over a hundred billion dollars was wiped away from their market cap. It's insane. I mean, think of, yeah, think of how much capital that is that's just just gone. Heard that just was like twenty percent like of Zuckerberg's wealth. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sure he's really roughing it now. I actually saw another ad that Facebook just approved ten million dollars annually for the security of his family. <laughs> 10 million annually for security. I was like, damn, man, this guy's guarded. I think Facebook screwed up royally. I mean, they have got themselves in such a bad position. So when you, like, let's take a step back and look at what happened. So obviously Russia was using their platform and media to buy advertising to change, to try to manipulate the election. Mm Mm-hmm. But the mistake that they took was thinking that somehow it is their job to fight Russia. Like it is. And as a country, right. Why did we suddenly look at a corporate entity like a third party and suddenly put the weight of geopolitical counterintelligence right on a company to go, Hey, you got hacked by another government it is your job to figure it out. So, so how did they respond? Instead of going, hey, actually, we're not in the intelligence business. Like, we offer a free communication platform, but government, CIA, if you would like to take a bigger role in, in helping to prevent, you know, Russian, you know, espionage, then so be it. But instead, we went, Facebook, you need to take control of this. So what did they launch, right, in the last couple of months? Right. Facebook suddenly goes, Okay, it's now our job to ensure that the people buying advertising on our site are not secret, covert, you know, Russian spies. Like what a wonderful task. So, yeah, this is what they ask you to do now. Right. Because I know this as I'm opening my new page. Right. Is that if you put on any kind of topic and it's not it doesn't have to be just openly political. So it's not like you're promoting like a candidate or you're pushing a political party, but if you have any kind of advertisement that has anything about abortion, the economy, education, uh poverty, gun like, rights, you yeah, name it. You you name any kind of issue that actually matters. And now what Facebook says is 
okay, now you count as political advertising. And in order for you to promote this discussion between citizens, you now have to provide to us, check out this list, your credit card, your name, your address, your social security, your passport number, (laughs) your driver's license number. And you have to be willing to have your whatever ad or post that you are promoting goes into a publicly searchable database forever. So you're like, wait a second. What, what, what just happened? <laughs> we just went from like, hey, I made a Facebook account and now I get a chat with my friends about fun topics to I have to give you my passport number and credit card and social security. Yeah. And wait, and Facebook gets access to this information? Wait, didn't they just get hacked? <laughs> yeah. Now they've made themselves into the largest target of any government or corporation in the world. What person is going to collect that much data about 1.8 billion people? Of course, now we're only talking about the U.S. subset because you know what? I can talk to abortion with anyone else in the world. I just can't promote a post discussing abortion between citizens in the U.S. Because the last thing we want in this country is us talking about anything of real importance between each other. Yeah, yeah, God forbid. Oh, my God, that's that's crazy, man. That's quite the list there. I'll tell you, that will definitely make you think twice before you make a Facebook page for Mr. Sprinkles, your cat. That's right. <laughs> It'll definitely make you think twice about that. Wait, God, that's that's the your only social thing security? Left. Yeah. Give me, a, give me a break. And it's like, it's like yeah. Is this gonna be good for business? Yeah, uh, probably not. Yeah, you you think that might have had something to do with them suddenly today announcing that hey, business looks like it's slowing. Apparently, people don't want to hand over their entire identity to a corporation. Shocking, order- <laughs> shocking. Yeah, God. so people are going. Maybe I will buy less advertising, or I'll find another way to communicate. Yeah, find another medium here. <laughs> We, God, and and that's that's so true though, and and that's and that's like it plays into the comfort, and it, pl- it plays into not being promised anything that we've been talking about. This stock has been, yeah. fa- it's part of the Fang. It's the first member in the Fang group, mm-hmm. which has basically led this market for the last eighteen months. I mean, it was a darling. It couldn't do anything wrong. There, there, it was there was just perfect every single time. It was perfect, and now it's like, oh, uh, looks like you might not be getting as much revenue. Oh, well, there goes a fifth of your market cap in one day. Yeah. And, it, yeah, it just shows you nothing is promised to you. You can be high-flying all day long. You you mess up one time, and who knows where you're going to be at at that point. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll tell you one thing that Facebook has, though, which is, um, man, everybody loves to hate Facebook. <laughs> I like that. And you'll never find a group of people who hate Facebook more than the people who who use Facebook. <laughs> like I have found like so I have I've had my I created my new my my, my new page right three Yeah, years inform ago. the people real quick so I don't have to do it later. What to do what? I'm about sorry. about what you got going on real okay. quick. Catch yeah, them up. So, catch them up a little bit. All right. So I, I opened this um, a new page. It's called Radically Middle. And uh, Radically Middle is really it was meant to be some place for people who want to have conversation about the hard topics, but they're really tired of just listening to the news and you get to hear the far right or the far left, some kind of like talking points. Or you hear CNN and they just don't, they don't even know where they're at. They're just completely lost in the weeds. 
And we realize almost every sensitive issue is not dominated by the 5% of people on either extreme, but it's like the 90% of us who land somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. And we somehow our country has been driven to extremes as in you can only be one of two opinions. When in reality, most of us are somewhere in the middle. Yeah. And you might be, you might be a staunch conservative on one issue, but then you kind of lean, you know, you're a little bit more center left leaning on a, on a different issue. And you're yeah. kind of like, why do I have to just fully buy into one or the other? Yeah, why do I got to put myself in this little box huh, with the little yeah. character? No, get out of here. So, yeah, Radically Middle, I, I really designed it after um, – there, there, I don't know if you've heard of the big five personality traits. Uh, Peterson talks about them all uh, a lot. But two of the traits uh, in the big five, one is called openness, like how open are you? And if you score high on openness, it basically means that you are – your personality type or where you're at in life is – you're much more open to the new idea. So you're kind of entrepreneurial spirit. You want your risk taker. You, in fact, you devalue things the way that they've been done in the past because you want to try the new thing. So you're really more open creative. to it. Yeah. And not surprisingly, it happens to be a, a high percentage of people who score high in openness character traits also tend to be lean left in the political sphere. Yeah. Because you tend to be more open to new ideas and you're trying to against the tradition or status quo. Now, another personality trait is about orderliness. Do you value order? Now, the person who values order is someone who goes, hey, there's a rules and structure. Like, we don't do things randomly. We've had generation after generation of people who have been tried and true, living through difficult, tested moments. And there's a reason why we have the laws that we have. There's a reason why we have the traditions we have and the customs we have. So I actually highly value doing things in an orderly way because these are tested and I know the results they create. So you might not be surprised that people who sky, who score high on orderliness tend to be lean towards the right. The problem is in our country as we move to such extremes is that we're now in a position where if you score, if you're just around a bunch of orderly people, you view people who are on openness spectrum as a threat to you because they want to tear apart your structure. They want to tear apart mm. your order. They want to tear that apart. And if you're high on somebody's on the openness and you want to try risk and do something new, well, you view it as a threat, people who are high and orderly. Because you're like, well, they want to they clamp me down into old traditions and the way that we used to do things. And they're trying to prevent me from stepping out and being who I'm supposed to be. Yeah. When reality is, I actually think that we're at our healthiest when there's a balance. Imagine that you're in a, a group together and you have people who are kind of lean more orderly. Well, they're really good about saying, setting some boundaries for those who are, who are more open to go, hey, if you go too far to openness, you're going to step into chaos, right? You're, if you leave behind every tried and true tested method and you just risk everything, well, you have a really good chance of just being in anarchy, Yeah, right? The whole thing will collapse. But on the other hand, if you have a bunch of really open people who are just going chaos and trying everything new and they don't want any orderly people... Like, well, let me do the reverse. Now, if you want to be on the hand where it's people are all orderly and they don't have any open person, well, then you get really stuck in your ways. It's about you become legalistic and you don't do anything new and you don't create anything new and you don't take any risks. So we need each other to kind of be this balance, this pull between, hey, let's take some risks and step out into the open, but let's also not forget the things What's that got, got us, us here. here. Yeah. And that's where I think radically middle, and I call it radically middle, which is supposed to be some sort of paradox. 
But I, I think the only real radical position is the person who can hold the middle. Because we're in a society where you're getting pulled to be either you have to be open or you have to be order and you can't appreciate both. Yeah. You have to think that one is evil and one is good. Yep. And only the radical person is a person who goes, hey, you both need to shut up for a second <laughs> and realize that there is some value to both. Not in the extremes, but as we get closer to the center, we need both. You can't have a society where we decide to wipe out openness or wipe out order and then somehow think that this is going to be a good place to live. Yeah. So this site that I've created is called Radically Middle. It's on Facebook and radicallymiddle.com is my, my, um, my website. But I will say that in three weeks, so I thought, you know, I'd just make this page and, you know, I'll just, whoever wants to listen to my nonsense, you know, I had no idea whether it'd be growing any following, but it's been pretty cool because I've had a couple of, Things have been written, a couple of podcasts that have been posted, which actually have have made the rounds. I had two articles this past week where one was it's been read five thousand times and another one's been read almost three thousand times. Yeah, and for me I'm going, man, I can't believe that there'd be that many people who want to read, you know, where I'm ranting about Facebook. But one of the things that's happened though is that I've already run into the ne- the dark side of Facebook in just three weeks. Three weeks is where I've tried to pu- publish a couple of talks where I'm not promoting a party. I'm not talking about candidates. And yet Facebook has shut down my post because it says that it's political advertising because it's talking about a topic that's sensitive in nature. And I'm not really one to want to give up my social security and my passport number. <laughs> so I'm finding my ways to fight the man to get around the censor. So I'm doing that now. And then Facebook, on the same day they blocked my second post, I'm writing them like my critiques and sending them these nasty letters about doing that. Well, then suddenly they shut down my ability to invite friends. And so now like I, I can't like I've had two twice two moments of three days of being blocked of being a, a, and to invite people to my site. And I'm like, and I keep writing Facebook. I wrote them six times to go, hey, why, why are you shutting? Why when I click this functionality that they're sending me messages saying, Oh, hey, it looks like this, you know, you've shut down this, this functionality temporarily. And I'm like, well, why? What did I do? Like, is there, is it my message? Is it my site? Is there some sort of something I said? Yeah. And they won't respond back. They don't answer back to it. So actually, you know, the two articles that went viral, they were basically me crying foul. (laughs) And I put those out there and I was surprised to find out how many people have had similar experiences with Facebook where they're using what used to be an open platform for communication to step in, to start to do some sort of weird, nefarious management of how we can talk to each other, what we're allowed to say, what you can hear, what you can like, what you can say. It's, um, it's creepy. Yeah. And I think people are responding to it and it's spreading. And I go, I think Facebook is their own worst enemy. It is. And, and what they don't see here is the the ramifications from all this the repercussions you know when when the litigation starts coming and they say yeah. oh well facebook you know got involved in this got involved in that it's like you guys you don't even know the implications of that and and then you got the government involved too you know they're grilling zuckerberg they're talking to him cambridge analytica yeah. all this stuff and then they're gonna get in the mix and it's like you don't you don't want any of that. You guys got a whole storm of stuff that's just not good, not positive. It doesn't look good for you. Yeah. And the second and and this is this comes back for me to when just in general the mentality of smaller government. You know, it goes the same for private businesses. The less rules, the better. Yeah. Okay. The less rules, the better. 
Nobody's out on Facebook promoting violence. Nobody's trying to get people to go murder or do anything crazy like that, okay? So why do we need more rules? All right. Oh, so because some Russians hacked. Oh, get out of here! What if you're dumb enough to fall for some stupid Facebook ad and change your vote? You shouldn't be allowed to vote. Okay, yeah. that hackers aren't our problem. Idiots voting are our problem yes. at that point. Yeah, I mean, we, come we on, see, you guys. I, yeah, you'd be like, yeah, I, um, I changed my vote because I saw a shirtless Bernie flexing and pointing off into the sunset. It was really inspiring. You know, I just, it just I went, it connected with me. Yeah, how can I vote Hillary into office? Now that I've seen this advertisement, the, it's like, come on, you guys, you you're doing so much more work than necessary. You're working harder than you need to. Why? This is one situation where you shouldn't do that. It's a it's a reflexive. We have this reflexive action that we do, which is we go, hey, Russia took advantage of our free speech. We have free, pretty open speech, and so we're able to talk back and forth about things that we want. And Russia came in and took advantage of it by kind of stirring up trouble. And so our response isn't to go, hey, let's find a way to cut Russia out. And instead we went, well, let's just tamp down our free speech a little bit. That'll show them. Yeah, we'll show them. Yeah. We'll show them. Now, now I'm going like, in my standpoint, I look at that and go, wait, we're taking away free speech in order to save election? What's the point of doing an election if we're giving away our freedoms? The whole reason that we'd be voting people in office is to protect our freedoms. But now we're going, no, the election is more important oh than the freedom God. itself. I'm like, no, at some point you have to go, I am sorry, but with freedom comes some messiness. Yeah. And with yeah. freedom of speech means that sometimes people are going to say stuff you don't like. And you're just going to have to buck up and suck it up. I want the freedom to be persuaded by some dumb Russian hacker, okay? <laughs> I want that freedom in my life, all right? Yeah. I, I want to be able to fall into that potential trap that is so blatantly obvious that only a dummy would. Give me that freedom, okay? Yep. Give that Actually, if you go back and look, there's some of the most entertaining things I've seen is to go back and look at the Russian ads that they published. It's like, I, you know, actually, I think they should just... Be co not be covert about it next time. It should be like the Russian advertising firm presents to you. And they had like, I think the last one, they, they had the shirtless Bernie. There's also this one that was like Jesus arm wrestling the devil or something like that. <laughs> and the devil was supposed to represent Hillary and, you know, is going to defeat, you know, the agents of good. And, and Jesus is saying back, not if I can help it. <laughs> arm wrestling. And you're like, who would think of that? All right, we got the Gipper on our side. Uh, I, I actually want to meet the Russian who was like, "This one, this is gonna get him. This, they're gonna see this uh, this advertisement of Jesus." Arm they're gonna know the that Hillary's the devil. They're yeah. gonna know, and they're gonna be like, gonna "That know. that's gonna that's gonna make some new voters." I honestly, looking back at it at this point, I don't think they care who won. I honestly don't think they, they care. Don't. I think they could have. I I feel like they think that they could have pulled one over on anybody, you know, like they just had that summit with Putin and Trump. I honestly, I don't know what to take from it. I, you know, you watch all the talking heads and yeah. obviously I wasn't there. You weren't there. I don't really know exactly what to make of it. I'm sure behind the scenes, Putin probably thinks he's pulling, but I'm sure Trump thinks the same fucking thing too. There's probably yeah. saying the same thing yeah. in the back room with all their advisors and all that stuff. So who knows? And you talk Hillary or Trump, well, you know, yeah, Hillary sounded like she wanted to make some beef with them. And honestly, I thought for a minute that if she did win, that a war with Russia was 
almost imminent. I, yeah. I, I fell into that. Maybe it was true. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe I was wrong. Maybe I was right. I don't know. But it's like, look from their perspective, they was the Uranium One deal. Okay, they showed they were willing to cooperate. I mean, Trump, he obviously had some... He want, it, it would be nice if we had a good relationship with Russia. So, I mean, did they really care who won? Or yeah. did, or like you said last time you were on here, did they just want to sow yeah. the seeds of dissent and make us confused and make us not know what the deal was? Well, maybe look at it like this way. Maybe it's a chess match. And you go, Russia was playing all sides. And they were, they, yeah, they were, they were playing all sides. And so maybe they were trying to uh, hurt Hillary's chances. And you go, well, what is Hillary's main job going to be once she gets elected? Is being in a Russian match or in a chess match with Russia. So if she can't beat Russia during the election phase, what confidence do you have that she would beat beat Russia at a chess match once she got elected? So if you look at it from that perspective, hey, you know, Trump, I don't think either, either of us thought Trump was actually going to get elected, but he did. <laughs> no, definitely didn't. Maybe he's a better chess player than we than we thought he was going to be. I mean, you look at what happened with King jo- Kim Jong-un. Mm-hmm. Like, the whole time, everyone's like going, oh, man, that, he's, that crazy man, he's going to create and we're going to have World War Three with North Korea. And then, and then they're like, yeah, Kim Jong-un, he kind of sucks too. Yeah, and the <laughs> next thing you know, you're like, they're sitting down and they're writing. By the way, did you hear what he did in order to kind of like push along like the, the, the talks? Uh-uh. Uh, it's, it's pretty amazing. And, I'm, you know, if, if our media wouldn't be on such a anti-Trump everything, <laughs> it would actually be interesting sometimes to hear about some legitimately cool things. Yeah. So he goes to finally sit down with Kim Jong-un. And instead of doing this, like, you know, we always have these tried and true politics, which never really work anymore, which is don't meet because then it gives them, you know, it validates, it them. validates them and only meet if they agree to these kinds of conditions first. And you make all these rules and then you end up not meeting and nothing gets accomplished and you're great. Yeah. That's politics as usual. Yeah. Trump goes, well, I'm going to meet with him. And everyone's like, oh, that's the worst thing ever because you're doing all the validation. Well, instead of getting together and talking politics, you know what he has? He has this little model and presentation done. And he goes, let me show you what I've been looking at because I've been looking at the North Korea beach coastline. And he shows him the coastline. He goes, you see how it's completely undeveloped now? Well, imagine this hotel. And he shows him this hotel along the beach, like five-star hotel, gorgeous restaurants and pools. And he goes, what we would love to do is invest in this. You know, and, and you just imagine him talking up to us. He goes, like, you know, like my Trump hotel, how the top floor is mine. Now imagine the top floor of this being yours. Mm-hmm. It, he got to Kim Jong-un with that. Because he walked away with stars in his eyes of going, wow, a nice hotel on a beachfront property? That sounds pretty sweet. Everybody's having their time of their life below you, and yeah. you're standing up there dictating it all? So instead of doing the tried and true old politics method, he actually went, what is the best gift, the number one negotiating tool that the U.S. has, which is investment? And that's the only it's what Trump probably does better than anything is let's do a real estate deal and build a hotel. Mm -hmm. If we could sum up, if we could make all of his global politics about building hotels, we'd probably have the best chance of success. And then if we try to stray away from that and you look at that and go, does it do you think it really affected Kim Jong Un? Well, think about this. The moment he got back, you know what he gave us? He gave us all of the bodies of the fallen soldiers from the Korean War. So. We're talking from the 1960s that U.S. soldiers that fell and their bodies not being able to return home for what? How many years is that? You know, Decades. Yeah. 50, 60 years. 
that suddenly he comes back and as a tribute, right, all of those bodies got home and got to be laid to bury, laid to rest here for the first time. I go, that is not an insignificant like gesture. Yeah. You look at that That's and go, nothing. regardless of whether what Trump was sincere or not sincere or whether it be successful, Kim Jong-un left feeling like that was a, that was a sincere gesture to the point where he gave something that actually is of incredible value to us. Yeah. No question. No question. And that whole situation, I mean, I won't get, I won't go too deep into it, but more than anything, that situation just is a blatant example to me of just how dishonest the media is yeah. because no matter who you went to, maybe besides Fox news, I mean, even them, I don't know how much reverence they had for the whole situation, but everybody had nothing positive to say from that at all. Oh, it's historic event, but well, will it mean, will it turn out to be in it? It's like you guys can't for two Goddamn seconds. Just give the guy a little bit of credit on this yeah. one. Even even for bringing the guy to the table, okay? Yeah. Who knows? We don't know if he's going to go through with all this or he's just trying to set us up and, and pull a fast on us. We don't know. But like you said, you get to the table and that's something. Okay, yeah. just getting there is something. You want to make something happen? What are you, how are you going to do it? Are you going to talk to advisors? Are you going to talk, talk through diplomats? Are you going to have phone calls or what? Or are you going to sit at a table with somebody and hash it out right there in front of them? What's yeah. the more productive way to make things happen? Yep. And it just, it, to me, it was just a blatant example of how dishonest the media is at this point. And they're a joke. Yeah, I, mean, they're, I, I think they're mostly they were covering what coat or dress Melania was wearing when he got off the plane from uh, North Korea. You know, that's, that's wearing what, flats, Melania, really yeah. flats with an international matter. Hmm. I think that had a lot more pertinence to us than, you know, whether. You know, North Korea is, is still building nuclear weapons or not. Yeah. It's, eh, oh God, it was so crazy. But yeah, get, get, you know, and, and again, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and bang the drum for Trump, okay? I, I thought about the other day, I agree with probably 60% of his policies, yeah. you know, certainly not all. I mean, he's not making policy just to make Aaron Berg happy, okay? So 100 is unreasonable. Yeah. So he's at 60 could be, it, it 60, could be a lot that's, worse. That's actually more than you get from most presidents. It, it could be a hell of a lot worse, okay? And I think that's what everybody needs to realize right now is yeah. that we need to calm down and just understand that things could be a lot worse. A little perspective. Put put things in perspective, you guys, okay? We're not doing that bad. It's a little bit crazy, no question about that, but we're not doing that bad. And if we're not careful, it could get a lot worse, and then we might not even be able to go back to this time that it seems like it's bad, but it's really not that bad at all. Yeah. Well... Mr. Clemens, always a pleasure to have you on here, man. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, glad to hear you're doing your own thing, man. Uh, you know, I'm not to toot my own horn here, but uh, it's true. It'd be nice it to think that here. maybe I inspired you it just a little bit. Here. Just a li- hey, that's what we do in this country, okay? You see somebody else yeah. doing something, you say, "That's good." But, I'm going to take it, <laughs> but maybe <laughs> I'm going to steal it from him. Not paying him. No, but maybe yeah. I could do that, but tweak this thing and do it a little bit better. Yeah. You know? No, and, I'm lo- I'm looking forward to doing this on a more regular basis with you. The, the only difference is man. I'm going to be taking little two to four minute chunks, and I'll be putting them on my site. But uh, and but uh, yeah, I just I, I love uh, working with you doing this forward. But uh, it's it's a it's a fun venture. The the most important thing is that we're spreading the word, man. And oh, yeah, just and just absolutely. and just and just having the conversation. Okay, I'm I'm not here to tell people how to think. Okay, I'll give you my opinion. That's fine. Yeah. I'm not here to tell you anything. Go do your own research. Go find out for yourself. 
but let's have a conversation. Okay. Yeah. Let's hash these things out. We live in a country where free speech is promised to us. Let's take advantage of that. You know, they don't even have that in Europe. You got you get people potentially going to jail for having their pugs zig heil in Europe. You know, <laughs> there's not free speech over yeah. there. So let's take advantage of it, guys. Let's have a conversation. And again, let's just realize that with all the madness and all the craziness, we're still doing pretty good, guys. Yeah. And we still got it pretty darn good, at least in the short term. So let's uh, take advantage of it and let's appreciate it as much as we can. So, and speaking of appreciating, we appreciate you guys joining us here for another episode of An Earful in the Emerald City. I'm a little off of the numbers, guys. I'm not going to lie to you. I think this is number like 112. You know, we're up there. We're, we're getting up there. It's senior, over 100. Good times. Seth, once again, thank you for enjoying. Uh, enjoying. I'm the one that enjoyed it. Thank you for joining us. I know the listeners appreciate it. Like I said, I already know I appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, we're definitely going to have to make this a more regular thing. Keep doing your own thing. You guys check it out. Radically Middle on Facebook. Or radicallymiddle.com. Or radicallymiddle.com. Um, as long as you have a credit card with you know a two thousand dollar <laughs> limit on Facebook, you'll be fine. You should be fine. Yeah. You should be able to like it at that. You know, just your social. I'll need your passport number. It's listen. It's for your own security, people. Okay, yeah. it's for your security. All right, I'm protecting you from the Russians. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, go check them out. Radically Middle, you guys, uh, and thank you guys for joining us. Appreciate you being here for another episode of an earful in the Emerald City, and we will talk with you guys next week. <laughs>